Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Wet Paint NYC podcast. I'm Paul Cepeda and I'm here with internationally acclaimed artist Robert Mars. Hello, Paul. Hey, welcome to the studio. How are you doing these days? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. Cool, man. Cool, man. So you just came from an artist studio, right? I did. Mary Yunkin, who is in, I guess, Bushwick. Yeah, so she's a fellow um, fellow Brooklyn artist, and she's part of the Artists and Fellowship program that we've been working on together, um, which uh, we're super excited about because we have the Super Fine Art Fair coming up soon, and then actually we're about to announce another follow-up show, um, a group show that we'll be doing in the East Village um, in June, so yeah, that'll be super cool that. too. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So how did the work look at the studio? Beautiful. Beautiful. Awesome. Does she have a big studio? I assume it's bigger than, than the one that we're in right now. Um, it's a little bit bigger, yeah. And um, she shares it with two other people. Oh, okay. Who, like their work, she sort of cleared out their work and put her work up. So it was really nice to get kind of an overview of her work. Nice. Um, you know, and see kind of where she's going. She's thinking about texture. She's thinking about surface. Um, she's thinking about different color, like bringing, introducing like fluorescence. Mm. So it was really cool to see that because... I think she said, like, all, as artists, like, we get bored, right? We mm-hmm. do things as repetition. And then at some point we go, you know, blue isn't working. <laughs> let's go with green. Let's go with bright yellow. Yeah. And we see where that leads us, you know. And it doesn't always work out, but a lot of times it leads us to something else. So I think that's part of it. It's Absolutely. The, the process of discovery. Yeah, and we were, yeah, we were talking a little bit about that, too, about... Um, just changing up minor details can lead to whole new discoveries. Like mm-hmm. I was just talking about uh, changing up my canvas shapes and that kind of thing for some of yeah. my series and um, and how excited I am about the uh, the potential behind that. So yeah. that's, that's always a good thing. Yeah, and I was actually talking that with Mary and she was saying sometimes as an artist, you think you have this major breakthrough and then the outside world sees it as a minor breakthrough. <laughs> of course, yeah. And I said to her, well, that's fine. Because it doesn't matter what they see, it matters what you think. Because as an artist, when you make work, it's about fulfilling your your insides. That's right, and you, you know, know, and I then I feel that as you're fulfilling that, I mean, that's the growing process, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, like you said, it doesn't really matter what the outside world thinks, and especially the funny thing is, it's it's really only a sliver of the outside world that you're hearing right. from. Um, and sometimes that, that's not always the most um, complimentary sliver, you know, mm-hmm. or like sometimes the people closest to us or, right. uh, you know, the, the, the folks that we've known for the longest um, sometimes all, aren't always quite as supportive as the rest of right. the world might be. Because um, she is super talented. So. She's yeah. super talented. She's an amazing painter, you know, and it was great to see her work in person because there's one thing to seeing work. On Instagram, oh, right, of course, or on a website, totally but then it's world, a totally right. different thing when you see it in person. And you can see the texture, and you know, awesome. it's. I think one thing as artists is that we deal in tangibility, and so <clears throat> Instagram isn't our best friend at times. True, because it takes away that tangibility. Yeah. So then you have to. I say like I use Instagram as a portal to have an experience. So once you get there, you know, if you like what you see. Hopefully, when you see it in person, right. it pops. Right, right. You know, and you actually get the the essence of the yeah, piece. Yeah, it's it's um, it's been a great new tool for for artists um, mm-hmm. 
for introductions and that kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, it is a big deal to remind folks that that's just an image of this very beautiful object right. that you really need to experience in person to get the full mm-hmm. effect. Um, but so so that's that's a very great point. That uh, remember that, folks. Don't just get to look museums online. And galleries. Get to museums, galleries, or even better, if you can get into an artist's studio, um, you'll see it. You know, you, you can see it before anybody else does. You may, uh, uh, you know, you'll see things as they develop, and um, more than likely, you'll be able to, to get a really good deal if you want to take something home with you. <laughs> yeah, I think the best thing about an artist studio is that you <clears throat> there's all of the peripheral. Uh-huh. Right, That's so it's like point. it's the things that inspire you. Mm-hmm. It's like my studio is a complete mess, which it should be, and there's yeah. all the collage. So there's all the oh, like yes. remnants of, you know, the evidence of what I've been right. putting so together. We'll really get into the inside the artist's head because yeah. it's not just what they put on Instagram or on the canvas, but it's mm-hmm. all that peripheral. Yeah, um, yeah. And you were talking about you know having bits and pieces of collage. Um, how how do you describe your work, your artwork? Uh, you know, I guess it's best described as post-pop because it's, it's a modern interpretation of something that already happened. So my work talks about things that have become timeless, right? So when something becomes an icon, time goes away, mm-hmm. right? When you think about Marilyn, when you think about the Chanel bottle, when you think about a lot of these icons, like they don't necessarily happen to be 1962. They just sort of encompass many eras. Mm-hmm. And so I think with, with what I do, um, it looks back to the future to talk about, I'm sorry, it looks back to the past to talk about the future. Right, right. You know, things that will still be around. So I think a Chanel bottle, like no matter what, in 20 years, it will still be timeless. In 40 mm-hmm. years, it will still be timeless, mm-hmm. you know? And as time goes on, other things will be sucked into that timelessness. Right, right. So I think it's important to think about that. Yeah, and, and what about the materials that you use? Is it, I mean, do you call it like, is it collage and painting? How do you, yeah, how do you describe I mean, it? It's, there is paint, there is collage. Um, you know, what I respond to is paper from the 50s and 60s. I think there's paper some, like actual vintage, like, like actual like, vintage wow. paper. So anything you see like in my magazines, work, newspapers, mm-hmm. that kind of ephemera like that. Yeah. Wow. So it's all. I don't print things out. It's all actual. Oh. Wow. Um, I think there's something important about using right. using history to talk about history. Awesome. Um, and I think when you look back to the 50s, there was there was beautiful illustrations. You know, there was this amazing type. These fluid types Mm -hmm. and then as you got to the 60s suddenly photography came in so mostly ads were photography instead of illustration and then you saw a lot of the the fonts go to sans serif helvetica you know so it it became like less stylized less stylized more standardized Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know so it's like depends on what i'm putting together if it's a sophia loren piece i like to go back to the 50s you know if it's a maryland piece i like to stay in the 60s so it's just awesome. sort of like the all the things that get collaged in speak to the era, but not necessarily Marilyn, not necessarily Sophia Loren. Yeah, well, and and um, it speaks to those things, but but the work itself has been speaking to um, all types of galleries and collectors all around, the, certainly around the country, around the world. Um, how how did you first get started in, in, in art and then and what was your like first gallery? What was your first gallery art gallery experience or gallery show? So, you know, I've always been making art. 
Okay, so as a, since being a little kid, just always making, yeah, never stop creating. Right, I've always been making me, art. Yeah. And then, you know, when I lived in L.A. in the mid-90s, I was working in skateboarding. So then oh, okay, it right. tended to go more in the illustration, graphic design sort of idea. Cool, yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I was always painting. I would paint pictures that I wanted to see on my wall, you know? Yes. And then when I moved out to Portland in 2001 is when I really started focusing on creating a body of work. And there was a gallery in Portland called Compound, which was kind of a mix of Japanese toys, high-end Nike sneakers, and then upstairs was a gallery. And he was showing people like Dalek. He was showing, um, who else? He was showing like a lot of the skateboard artists at the time. And it was a back and forth with him. I did a lot of pro bono work for him. I did a lot of his postcards and ads and things like that. About how old were you at this time? Um, 31. And I put together a body of work, and I approached him with it, and he liked it, and he showed it. And that was kind of the beginning of it. Oh, awesome. You know? And at the same time, in Portland, there were so many venues, and Portland is such an art-friendly city, that I was able to show in coffee shops and sushi bars, and you know, wherever anyone would hang my art, I would hang art. I go, yeah, so, you, so that's the approach that you took, is that you wanted to get it out there, share it as many sort of places wherever they would have you that's 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 similar to what i did it, it was literally wherever you wherever you'll have me yeah. whether it's you know a restaurant a bar you know certainly galleries were great too yeah. um i was in you know i was in sort of the small town scene so mm-hmm. you know uh it, one, one good thing about that too is that a lot of times they'll be more open you know if you're willing to go in and say hey i could uh do this for you. You really don't have to do much, you know, mm-hmm. just tell me where I can hang some stuff and I'll yeah. do all the rest. And usually they're, you know, a lot of times they'll be uh, more than happy to get, you know, free beautification of, right. the, of the getting, spot, you know. They're and, getting original artwork on yeah, their walls yeah. for free. Yeah. You know, they don't have to do anything. Yeah. Um, I think even galleries are like that, right? Right, like right, right. Many galleries see the work. If it fits with their program, then, you know, look, artists do most of the work. Yes, I, I, uh, I, I like to remind folks of that from time to time that um, we do most of the work and um, oftentimes when it's through like a gallery or other uh, institutional type sale, um, we're sharing we're sharing a lot of, of, of uh, whatever the cost of that piece is with the folks that didn't do, quite as much work they didn't purchase the materials they didn't put in the blood sweat and tears um although you know occasionally there are the, there are those sort of superstar you know like gallerists or folks yeah. that'll take care of you and you're more than happy to give them anything they want because exactly. they make it such a beautiful you yeah. know um, experience yeah and i've had those galleries as well where they really sort of nurture you as an artist and you sit down and you have meetings with them and they talk about like what's next you know where can we go from here this is working this isn't working you know, and I feel like that is the most invaluable is having an open exchange with directors of galleries, owners of galleries, and saying like, you know, look, if this isn't working, let's do something else. Oh, you know, yeah, and and fantastic. and with each gallery, it's different, right? Even within some of my galleries where they have multiple locations, something that sells here doesn't sell there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think it's having an open dialogue with all the directors and allowing them to look at your work as a whole body and say. I think these pieces will work. These won't work. Oh, that that's that's obviously really great advice in general for any artist. Um, 
how um, how initially did you sort of break into that scene? Did you just sort of go from from what you're doing in Portland and just sort of spin it from there, or did you have sort of ups and downs that you know where you had to like say you know how did you how did you get into galleries in New York or that kind of thing you know? So that was uh, about 2004. <clears throat> so I was showing in Portland. I had a couple of shows overseas um, surrounding. Um, like trade shows okay. for snowboarding, skateboarding, things oh. like that. And then a gallery in New York contacted me and had asked about representing me. The contract was terrible. It was like a 30-page contract. It was very binding. Um, I didn't sign the contract. He gave me a show. He ripped me off. Long story short, I had a show in Chelsea. Uh-huh, yes. So that was sort of like a stepping stone that I knew yeah. I knew I wasn't going to... It gonna... good on paper, if nothing else, right? Like exactly. Like a gallery show in Chelsea. Right. Um, you know, so I knew... that time in New York. Right. And I knew I needed to take that step. And so it's like, as much as I dislike that guy, I still like him. You know? <laughs> you're at least, you're at least um, thankful for what that opportunity you know, allowed you to, right. but then again, that's also, I think that that says something to your, um, you know, to your personality or, you know, uh, to have a positive outlook like that. And maybe it, you didn't feel it so much at the time. And this is wisdom that you've, that you sort of come to grow right. with because, um, I know how much that can sting, uh, because, you know, artists take the our work. It's not just a, for most of us. It's not just a business. We take this very personally, and it can be difficult sometimes to separate the business and the, you know, you know, putting your babies out into the world like that. It can be. I don't know. It's tough for me anyway. Sometimes, yeah, you know, where you no. can feel very personally well, you feel affronted. You know, yeah, right. you feel yeah. vulnerable, right? Like you're you spent months on this work, and you ship it somewhere, or you have it delivered somewhere, and then you hope that that gallery has the same enthusiasm for the work as you do. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I was actually talking to Mary about this, you know, I've, not just with my galleries, but with other galleries. Like I've gone in and you can tell the difference between someone who says, there's art on the walls. And you're like, okay, great. Or someone who goes, this is our new show. It's this artist. They did this. They did this. Mm -hmm. You know, this means this. And you go, oh, you have a love for this artist. Right, right, right. And it's a huge difference. Yeah. Right, and at times you'll walk in and be like, "Yeah, I don't see it," and then you walk out going like, "Wow, that's an amazing artist!" Because someone has sort of made you learn about their process, you know, what they do, their the concept behind it, and I think that's so much of the work. And that's like a dream representative, is folks like that, you know, whether it's a, whether it's you know a, a standard gallery or mm -hmm. like a consultant or advisor or that kind of thing, people yeah. that are really sharing the story of you as an artist and your work and that kind of thing that's that's a huge deal um, do you have any thoughts on why uh, some of these other gallerists or galleries get into the business if not is it just do you think it's just money uh, I don't know they have no I mean, look, love for the art <laughs> look I mean there there's billions of dollars in the art world right it's no that's this is very true and there's no rules but it was like the, what the biggest sector in the economy or the biggest provider in the economy last year was the arts but yeah. i think i may have spoken over you and people might have missed what you just said is is a major point is that um there are no rules it's the no last rules. unregulated market <laughs> exactly and um 
for folks who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Google that and you'll get all kinds of wonderful stories. Well, there's galleries multi, who... Multi-million dollar deals. Right. Galleries who represent the buyer and the seller, which you look in real estate, you can't represent the buyer and seller. In art, you can. Mm-hmm. And it leads to lawsuits, but... It's legitimate because the rule isn't there, mm-hmm. you know, and and there's no, you know, there's there's a value in art as to what someone says it is. So let's That's say right. that you're like a trust fund kid and you're like, I don't care. And and you're like, my work is worth eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And suddenly one person buys it that's and it. then it's worth 80000 you know, so that's the hard thing. What, is, you, what you can get somebody to pay for it. That's, right. That, that's what the actual, well, you know, when people wonder about these auctions, these record numbers for Picassos and Basquiat's and whatever, Cost. it's like how, or and yeah, even living artists, how is this happening? Mm-hmm. How, how is their work worth that much? It's because they got, it's because somebody paid that much for right. it. That's the only thing. It doesn't necessarily, technically, it technically doesn't have anything to do with the quality of the art or the mm-hmm. technique or the materials or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The value is established by what right. somebody pays for it. Yep. Well, they were talking about that cause piece. And so cause is an interesting character, right? Because he's a living artist. He's producing a lot of work. But yet his work is just gets higher and higher in value. And I love it. Like, Don't get me wrong. Like, I love his work. But like, where does the value come from, right? It comes from auction sales. So someone just paid $17 million, I think, for his Simpsons portrait. And it's like, that's what it's worth, you know? And like, awesome for him, because I think that his work is beautiful. It's also very strange, right? Because it just sort of riffs on popular cartoons of the day. Mm-hmm. But he's become a signature, right? The X's and I's. Right, right. I'm wearing a cause shirt, right? So like, I can't deny it. Yeah, you know, he's he's uh, he's any he's got a presence. He's He's a phenomenon, (laughs) you know. And seemingly, like, you know, you see him on CBS Sunday Morning, and like, you see him around, and he seems like a pretty mellow dude, you know. Yeah, well, it it is it is great to see um, living artists get some, you know, some love and some, you know, some some a little bit of fortune while while they're while they're still here yeah. you know a lot of the ones that we hear about it's it's folks making a killing off of somebody who's who's gone yeah, and didn't and didn't get you know and in some cases in a lot of cases died in um you know utter, utter feeling utterly tortured over the oh. fact that nobody wanted their yeah. art and then here we are pandering yeah. to you know to every little tiny uh you know fleck of of the name so it's it's it, it like I said it is good to see folks living get a little bit of something. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's happened, right? I mean, none of my artist friends who are making money are slacks, right? They're all professional. They all run it like a business. Um, you know, so I think that's a lot of it is they're not coming at it like, yeah, I'll give you my art. No, they're like coming at it from a professional standpoint. They value their art <clears throat> and they know what it's worth. And I think so much of that is, you know, goes back to the galleries going, yeah, this person believes in themselves and we can believe in them too. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that that's part of what um, at least I was hoping that you and some of the other advisors in the Artists and Fellowship program would share just that sort of 
Um, it seems like basic knowledge to us, sort of old heads in the game, you know, selling art for all this time. But um, but uh, for sort of for you know younger generations or less experienced folks, it can really be a murky, dark, scary process where you know you really have no idea what direction to go in. And it's nice to hear from people who have been through it for better or for worse. And can speak to you know the positives and negatives and that kind of thing and and um, you know we've been super thankful to you and all the advisors for just adding that basic knowledge you know it's, it's, it doesn't have to be a huge academic thing but just you know a sounding board for ideas and you know and going and doing studio visits and just and just giving the support like hey you know what you're on a good track I know you're in your head thinking like oh this whatever whatever. But people are going to love this when right. you get in front of the right audience. And sometimes you, as an artist and, you know, and, and just, you know, people in general, sometimes you just need a little bit of positive affirmation. Um, even if you're, the, you know, even if you have total great self-esteem and all this stuff, which not most people don't have perfect self-esteem. So right. it's still great to get that little bit of love every once in a while. Well, I think as artists, like we have self-doubt. We have depression, like we all the have these things, do, anyway. right? Exactly, <laughs> you know. And and actually, so there's a guy in our town named Jimmy Grashow, and he's in the Met right now at the Rock Show, ah. right? He's clearly That's paid awesome. his dues. <laughs> um, and I was at a party recently with him, and he's just he's such a gracious man. Awesome. And he sat down. He's like, "How are things going?" And I'm like, "You know, the last two months have been really hard. Like, mm-hmm. I've never seen it in in eight years of being a full time artist. I've never seen it." I can tell you, I can vouch the same thing. <laughs> okay, so at least we're on the same page, yes, right? Yeah, oddly the same last two months. But go yeah, ahead. and um, so he said, look, you know, and he, I'd say he's probably in his seventies. Like he's okay. on Jethro Tull album covers. He's on, oh, yeah. he's he's been around forever, you know. And he said, like, don't worry, you're doing the right things. You're very talented. Just keep doing it. He said, you know, the one thing about me is that I've always had multiple bodies of work. So I've done, you know, I've done etchings. I've done cardboard work, which you'd have to look at to see um i've done bronze so he's like i've done all these different things so when you know i'm working on a couple of bronze pieces that are making me a ton of money then that falls off then i'm working on the cardboard things it makes me a little bit less money so he's like i'm always working on multiple things and i started to think about that like right you need to tier what you're doing you know so i started doing some works on paper yeah i've noticed that Mm -hmm. yeah so i feel like not everyone's going to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a, on a painting. Absolutely. But there's, what happens is as you get bigger, you have a section of people who are like, you know what, I can afford a thousand. Right. And so you cater to them and then the 500. And so it's like, you know, when you look at Damien Hirst, right? Best example. Guy's got the $10 million, $20 million, $50 million, and the $10, right? He's, I don't he's even got, know, what's the $10? What it's like a, like, I don't know, like a, a pin. Right. Okay. So, oh, gotcha, so he gotcha. does. Yeah. Um, so this is almost like merch type thing or whatever. Although right. you might not want to call it that, but gotcha. right. So when you go to, and I can't think of what it's called right now. Other criteria. Mm-hmm. Oh right. Other criteria mm-hmm. has like Damien Hurst t-shirts for twenty five dollars, a postcard for a dollar. You know, it, it's right. like all the way, and and you can go in there and be like, I would like a shark in a tank, and they're like, well, this is you know ten million dollars, right. and you're like, here's ten million. <laughs> right. You know, and I think that the best artists are the ones that understand that. Their brand always doesn't rely on a fifteen, twenty thousand dollar piece, yeah. right? Because not everyone has that. So if you make it accessible to multiple people at multiple tiers, then you always sort of have money yeah. rolling in. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to hear you say that because um, a few years ago, with this exact idea in mind, um, I 
myself started um, what I what I've come to call an, an evolved gallery, an evolved gallery online um, called Wet Paint NYC, wetpaintnyc.com. Um, and the idea was that we would offer, uh, uh, I myself would offer works as well as artists that I believed in who wanted to be involved in this would offer originals if we wanted, as well as um, high quality reproductions um, on canvas, paper, acrylic, all this stuff, at, you know, in this variety of price points. So everything was, you know, high quality, um, you know, the images were represented and all that. But yeah, you know, not everybody can afford um, or, you know, or at least they're not going to start out with an original artwork. And, and it was a big deal because I was seeing a lot of artists, my artist friends, uh, you know, we were talking about ups and downs. And especially in this town in, in New York, it can be very difficult to pay your bills off of art or off of anything if you have ups and downs. And then um, the idea was that we could open it up um, for things that were highly accessible to folks. And uh, and and so it's just great to hear that other folks have uh, you know at least similar concepts and ideas because um, it, it's great to be able to share your work and, and 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 allow somebody to have it on their wall who just really appreciates the image and wants to support you to some degree but just doesn't for whatever reason at this point in time have the kind of money to spend. Oh, and what I was getting at is that I was seeing a lot of my artist friends when they were trying to survive these ups and downs lowering the price of their original work and that's and that's one of the worst things you can do because it can take so long as you were discussing earlier to develop your 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 price points your clientele who believe in you to support you at that level at a certain price point and then for you to go back and sell for less is sort of a slap in the face to those collectors and it's and it's it's not doing you any service no i agree people get really upset they get really upset because they feel like you're de you're devaluing your own art. Yeah. Right. So if you if you say like no these pieces are this much, and then you do some works on paper, you do some prints, you know, and you just have it set at different levels. And I feel like with me the prints are aspirational for people who are like you know what I really want to own art, but I just don't have tens of thousands of dollars. Right. So like two hundred dollars I can totally do right or. 350 I can do something that's slightly embellished. Yeah. So I feel like people get really excited about that's that. A good deal too, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I work with House of Rue up in Massachusetts and the quality, like I was always against doing prints uh -huh. editions. I hear you, me too. You know, <laughs> and then they contacted me and I was like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. And then they contacted me again. And I was like, well, send me a sample. And they sent me a sample and I was like, sold. Nice. Like these are really good. Like once again, getting back to having the see it in person. Yeah, exactly. Real, real, you know, and and they don't skim. Like there's like a nice embossing on it. The paper's really nice. The printing's really nice. Comes with a letter of authenticity. Like it's it's a package. Nice. It's not just like here's your print. Right. You know? It's like you open it up and you're like, oh, right. I'm really it's impressed. It's an experience for the the collector. Right. You know, and so I found that like that part of my market is good too. Awesome. You know. Yeah, because I mean, like, you currently have gallery shows up. Like, I mean, how many how many gallery shows do you currently have running right now? Uh, I mean, I have roughly. Also, so I have a show in Dallas right now uh -huh. at Laura Rathi, and like that's like a legitimate like large show. Like they probably have twelve. Hey, pieces. Dallas is and Dallas, Dallas is a is great market. market. I mean, yeah, I've lived in New Mexico and then all over mm -hmm. Texas, and Dallas yeah. is a heck of a market. Yeah, and I mean, Laura Rathi, like, that gallery as a whole, all of the artists there are, like, top of the top. Mm. Like, the, the way they put their art together, like, I go there every time, and I'm blown away 
by just the quality of the work, you know, the thoughtfulness of the work. Um, in December, I went to their holiday party and got to meet a bunch of the artists I had met. Very cool. You know, so it was really nice to have a like a face to the art. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah, Dallas, Houston are like good markets. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some work in Chelsea as well um, at Amsterdam Whitney, which is a group show. Um, it's put on by Denise Cummings. She was the curator. Um, and I have some things coming up, a show in Greenwich. Sweet. Awesome. Uh, yeah, because your, um, your studio is actually in Connecticut, right? It is. Reading, Connecticut. In the woods. In the woods. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Greenwich, and actually, um, I don't mention it too often, but that when I first moved to New York, I was essentially squatting in a lovely old lady's house an old old house out in uh back before they started building like the mansions and stuff in greenwich this was a house um from from back before those times and um i would literally before i knew anybody in new york would find shows on like craigslist or otherwise online and just train in with the art under my hands not knowing where any of the neighborhoods were, what anything was, and just wandering around, oh, so this is the Lower East Side, huh? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> That's so funny, because actually we have a common friend, Bourbet. That's right. And he, I had a show on the Upper East at Hubert Gallery back in 2007, and Jason Bourbet shows up, and there he is, and we're That's talking right. and talking, and then that, that was like the beginning. Right. That's right. We just became friends at that so point. So that was short, so shortly after my Greenwich time, my my next move was to the Upper East Side, and um, and Jason was up there too, uh, also known as Bourbet was up there too, and um, for a while we would go around gallery stomping, and I met you as well at another one of your art shows. We went together, and I we popped in at some at some point or just a real quick. Real Down quick, at went, I believe so, yeah. real yep. quick, uh, in and out, uh, yep. and then uh, that was our initial meeting. And then I saw you at your show, which was down in Soho as well, See, a couple months know, later. That's that, that, that New York art scene for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as big as it is, it's very small. Yeah, yeah, you know? yes, yeah, which is an, uh, it's an awesome thing, you know, because um, as somebody who didn't grow up in this area and never even had been to New York until shortly before I moved here. Um, it, you know, there's always, there's this, there's a huge mythology behind it. And I was, it was hilarious. Actually, my first couple of shows, um, I thought that I needed like fire jugglers and like all kinds of crazy, like all kind, you know, all kinds of crazy yeah. sort of freak show action. Women. Well, hey, that's always a plus, you know. I think I think that 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 is uh, that still sticks as a plus. But um, you know, I thought that just to do a New York show because of these mm-hmm. things that I'd seen, you yeah. know, from back, you know, thinking like Warhol days and and then okay. you know and post world that kind of stuff. Yeah, you got to have the freakiness to it. But um, things, at least in the circles that I'm running in currently, seem to be a little bit more tame, tame. until. You know, until until at least until the lights you know go down. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? When I came, when I moved back to New York in two thousand five, was a really good time because within the course of like a month or two, I saw the Basquiat show at the Brooklyn Museum and the Twist show at um what's his name uh, uh Deitch Gallery. Uh-huh. And that show, like you're talking about, you walk in. And they had transformed the front of the gallery, so you walk into a small door, but it was actually a box truck turned upside down, 
and you walk in and there was a this huge mound of trucks and cars up to the ceiling i mean it was like wow. this is the show of shows yeah you know he had you know twist had his his sort of i don't know salon style hung paintings and uh photographs and everything was framed but i mean this show was just beyond you know, and then I went to the Brooklyn Museum and saw Basquiat, and it was so comprehensive. And just seeing, I, I actually stopped painting for about two months because I didn't know what else. Like, what can you do after these two shows? Uh, like, these two shows were so good, and they were so They're overwhelming. So good that they caused you to pause. Right, they were overwhelming <laughs> in a good way. Yeah, and I really needed time to like step out and go, what, like, what would I want to do? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. My very first. Uh, very first trip to New York um, was what I, what I think everybody was calling it, but I certainly called it the Summer of Picasso, where every museum had the huge had a huge Picasso show. Every gallery had all their Picassos in the windows. So for me, as somebody who uh, a self taught artist who was looking in books by you know the masters that I admired and you know learned from the, from them, um, Picasso, Matisse, Modigliani, all these folks. It, it was I was like holy shit I'm in heaven yeah. this is the you know New York you know the Big Apple the the city of myth all of this the artist Mecca and it's wrapped in Picasso why am I not living here and that's actually that was actually the question I asked and uh, I was here just a few short months later and haven't left since but uh, but it's fantastic to sort of get that to get that inspiration and we're just so lucky to have it at our fingertips yeah. right here just yeah, like a I mean, quick train right away. Yeah, I mean, you think about smaller cities and the museums and the acquisitions they have, and you think about the Met and the MoMA and, and the Guggenheim and the Whitney, and like, you know, these are the best museums in the world for modern art, you know? And and you think about that and you're like, wow, like the endowments and for the these. And, yeah. You know, the endowments for these museums is huge. Yeah, yeah, you know, think, think about endowments and money because you were talking about like that twist show and being able to to have cars and trucks, you know, stacked to the ceiling. Um, you know, that's sort of a different, that's not your, um, you know, artist who's painting on the easel, that kind of thing. I feel like the, there's, there's a lot more money that has to go into even just putting on something like that. So we're talking, you know, grants or, you know, unless the artist wants to come out of their pocket somehow, they've come up with this kind of money. Um, it's a very interesting thing how... Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Twist does it. Obviously, yeah. he's a very famous artist at a young age. I think he's probably in his early 40s. Um, and I think some of that was probably, you know, there, there were pieces that were for sale, like all the frame pieces were for sale. There were a couple other things. Um, but, you know, who's going to... Has a space for a monolith of cars and trucks? That's a good point. You know, yeah, but I think it's, it's amazing to see an installation... That's, I guess the only word to say is epic. Like yeah, I hate yeah, using that word, epic. but but it really was epic, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was like a show of a show, and to see that, you know, to see that like one man could could do something so magnificent, you know, and then to see the complete opposite, like Basquiat made paintings on canvas, right. and they were so also super rough like, canvases, super point, rough you know? canvases, you know. <laughs> but to see all this work and go like, wow, this guy like. You know, through drug addiction, through all of this, like he produced such an amazing body of work that I mean, you know, it's funny because there was a show later at Gagosian that was mm -hmm. all owned work, 
So they had borrowed it from people who owned his work. And I saw some guys in there and they clearly weren't artists. And the guy's like, this shit's like, like my kid could do this. And I was like, you don't get it. Like, you don't get it. You don't understand. Get out of here. Yeah. You know? And to hear that is like, it's, yeah, it's just like, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing here? Why are you here tonight? What are you doing? <laughs> right. You know? And I feel like so much of that as an artist, like you look for your visual language, right? And Basquiat had that. Like his visual language is copied on the daily. Oh yeah. You know the crown, uh-huh. right? The crown is everywhere, um, and 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 Samo, right? Aldiaz, like like they were partners. Yeah. Um, and they were just creating something that just came out of the anger of the city, you know, the anger of being not white in a white man's world, like the anger of all this. And New York was a different time then. That's different sure. time, yeah. you know. And look, Basquiat was making good living when he was alive. You know, he was, he was something. So to see that and go, yeah. It can be done. It can be done. Right. Wow. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. amazing. And, you know, we, you know, talking as a, as a little bit of a segue, talking about child artwork, childlike artwork, that kind of thing. You have a child yourself, correct? Two, Two children. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, how, if at all, has that um affected or changed your studio practice having children it's completely changed it uh-huh. so I when when, when our first was born in 2010 um was right before i quit a day job so in 2011 i quit my day job had my studio on 39th street in the city we were living in astoria and i would go every day like we had a nanny because my wife was still working so she would go to work i would go to work i would work like religiously nine to six come home, have time with the kids. But moving to Connecticut, it's completely changed because we had our second child. My wife's still working. She's doing several things. She's, she's doing costume design for theaters and she's teaching as an adjunct. So my role has sort of changed to almost like a stay-at-home dad. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So every minute that I can get is like golden. Every minute you know? in the studio? Yeah, like I can get in the studio. It's like, I'll, you know, I'll drop off the kids. It'll be 8.30. I'll get home. Okay, so they're like in school or some sort of... They're all in school, thing. yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So that's the time that you have. Right. Outside of that, yeah. no, no time. No right? time. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, that's what it is, that's right? Fair, yeah. So it's like you just grind. You get in the studio. You don't think. You work. You know, I know what I need to do. I have lists, and I just uh, do it. You're a list man, too. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be a list man, right? Okay, you got okay, you got I, I got list on lists. Yeah. And it's so it's so nice, right? Like and I think with lists like you become obsessive and you're yeah, like it's nice I can to check them Right. I can do like four small things instead of one big yes, thing yes, and yes. I feel like I've gotten so much more yeah, done. You can see it on your list. Yeah. It's it's all, it's gone. Well, cuz we're visual, right? We're artists, we're visual oh, people. That's a good point, right? So like in our mind if we did four things like brush your teeth, <laughs> eat a pop tart, like you're like, "Yes, I did it," yeah. you know? Oh, Whereas, yeah. like, if you're like, I need to complete a painting that I have four hours on, you're like, I'll do the small things, then I'll do the big thing. Nice. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, but it's nice. It's nice to be able to spend time with my kids, you know? And there's times where I'm like, I don't want to spend time with you. But for the most part, you know, I love them and I love spending time with them. Um, but, yeah, it's totally changed. And it's, I mean, for me, this sounds like kind of a dream setup to have you don't have to. You don't have to commute to the studio. Um, you have your children there, but they, but they leave for a little bit of time so that you have work. You know, work time yourself. Um, you've got your like yard and some trees and that kind of thing. But then when you want to, uh, you know, 
coming out to the Wet Paint NYC studio. It's just a it's just a couple of train rides away. Yeah. No, I think that's the one thing. Like we looked at, at a fifty mile radius, and where we live is like right at the edge of that. You know, um, so it's it's accessible to get into the city. Um, you know, we never wanted like I want to raise my kids with diversity, and we have a little bit of it in town, but not so much. So like to get them into the city and and see them, you know, see people speaking different languages and see people who different dress. Like I think that that's so important because it's something that. I didn't have as a kid and then when I got to travel the world and realized like how how as big as the world is it's small mm-hmm. because we sort of like 99.999% of people all want the same things uh-huh. you know we just don't agree on how to get it <laughs> and so you know I want or my kids speaking in different languages about right. the same exact thing exactly you know yeah. so I feel like in all, all my time in corporate America traveling the world and seeing places in Asia and seeing places in Europe and and going, you know what? Like, we're really all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, we have different languages, we have different religions, we have different ways of dress. But, you know, we all are, you know, fundamentally, we're very simple. We want peace. You know, we want our children to be safe. We want to be healthy. It, these things, you know. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, at, at least a little bit of travel is so good for anybody. You know, you got to get out of your little circle. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge expensive trip, but anything you can do to sort of get out of your world and be kind of anonymous and go, you know, just experience the beauty that's that's out there. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, so relating to the world and artists, one thing about being an artist and one thing about being out in the world is it's nice to step out of your comfort zone yeah, yeah. and go like, this isn't my home, you know, and allow people who live there to sort of guide you. You know, one thing I actually love about Uber is not so much in New York because I know it, but when I go to other places like in Dallas, like what's your favorite restaurant? Like, give me your favorite restaurant, you know, off the beaten path. And to have someone say like, go to this like barbecue place out in like the Western part of town, you know, and you're like, yeah, because you live here. So you you know, what's good. Right. You know, and I think that that's so important. And as an artist, it's also important to step out of that zone and, and and not have that ego. Right. right. And like do something without the intention of success. Do something because you know you can fail, yeah. but it will lead to something else. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not always about everything working out, but it's about and doing the something. Best at everything, every time and all of that. Right. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's kind of like, I guess with sculptors, they're always, you know, refining. Right. Mm-hmm. And so with painters, it's like you're refining in a different way. Like mm-hmm. you do something, but then you take it back. Yeah, you can always cover it up. That kind of, or you know, yeah, you can always cover it up. That's a good point with sculpt with sculpture. You can't, uh, you often can't do that. Um, yeah, I've I've spoken before on the podcast about how, especially as painters or sculptors, you know, visual artists, it's very often a, a solo endeavor. It's a very solo endeavor um, where you can be, you know, you have you have the, the kids around, so it's a little bit different experience. But I'm sure that at a certain point in your life, there were times when you spent perhaps days at a time in your studio and didn't even see anybody else um and uh and it can be easy to get caught up in your own head and you know and sort of trip out about things and um and you know it and that's great for when you're producing the work but then there comes a time of sharing the work and also getting the experience of other people experiencing the work um and i think you know that's one of the beautiful things about the world is like getting out there and trying you know getting these new experiences i'm one who 
will try any food at least once, you know. Um, I've become a little bit notorious for this, you know, people feeding me scorpions and ant eggs and, you know, ghost peppers and stuff that are like super insane. And I always say yes for some reason, but it's because, you know, I, I, I say, hey, you know, if somebody else is eating it, eat, has eaten this before or some other culture has eaten this before, there's probably something to it. And I want to experience it at least once. And so that's sort of my thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think as an artist, like you want to have experiences, right? Whether good or bad, because yeah. I think even even the negative experiences in our life mm-hmm. lead to positive. So all the years earlier with the with the initial gallery experience, right? You know, what 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 I'm sure was a very uh, sort of heartbreaking and tumultuous time, getting ripped off by your first gallery and having your art, you know, whatever that experience, you know, whatever that was, having all that taken away from you. I'm sure it was horrendous, but you found, as they say, a silver lining. And have found ways to grow with that. And I think that's an awesome, awesome way to live. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, right? Or else you're just going to harbor it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I think... Cynical? Yeah. <laughs> we should be a little cynical, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, we're New Yorkers, I right? Say, <laughs> or Connecticut. Yeah, I don't know. It's not New York. Right, right, right. You know, yeah, I think um, when you think about... Um, there, was, there was a point going on there. Yeah, you know, just that solo life of being an artist and then getting out there and experience, but, right. you know, solo production life, but then tapping into the rest of the world, like all that magnificence right. and, and, and drawing from, from that experience. Right. I think our time alone in the studio is for us to be introspective, mm-hmm. right? And you're right. We, sometimes we get into our own head and we get in the way of ourselves. But I think when you have a show and people come out, you can almost tell like if something succeeds because people really gravitate towards it. And if they don't, because no one's going to tell you like, damn, that sucks. Right? No one's going to say that. But if they, if they just sort of... You're dead. I know, right? Sorry, Basquiat. I know. Exactly. <laughs> but if they leave it alone, you know like, okay, that, that wasn't Not the right thing. You know? for this crowd. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, and I think... And I think and this can be a little bit difficult, and, and I, you know, we're a little bit older, so we may not experience this quite as much, but, you know, I think a lot of artists and folks these days, they're sharing their work, not necessarily in person, but online, and they can, like, live and die, you know, their day can, ri- you know, their sun can rise and fall with the amount of likes and shares and this kind of thing, and I think, I think that that's a very dangerous, uh, you know, place to put yourself as an individual, um, for a lot of reasons, because uh, I mean, for one, let's just you know, let's just talk algorithms and that kind of thing. Like, it's not a fair, you know, it's not fair to yourself for you to judge yourself based on these amount of likes. And also, I can tell you for a fact that there are ghost watchers out there watching you artists um, who know everything about your work, have seen every single piece that you've done, and probably are in love with at least a few of them, but have never shown any sign of presence. They don't give a like, they don't give a comment, they don't do anything. But then when you do do a show in person, you see them, and they're like, oh, hey, I remember on May 4th at 3 p.m. there was this painting that you put up about this, that, and the other. Like, ah, well, okay. And that's what I call ghost watchers. (laughs) No, I think social media has become uh, a gift and a curse. Right. Like I do love Instagram because I think that it allows for me, I don't really post just finished pictures. Like I like to post pictures of me in the studio Mm -hmm. and people really like to see that because there's some sort of 
part to people who like to want to see the inside workings of what an artist does. So I feel like when I post that, it gets the most feedback, right? Like I don't really care about likes, but I care about interaction. Mm -hmm. So if people go like cool with like a thumbs up, it's not a real person. But if someone's like, hey, I really like, you know, you're doing this, you're doing this. You know, there's a lot of quilters that follow me because yeah, I, I do these quilt patterns, yeah. right? So for them, it's like, wow, this is someone who's not using fabric right. to make quilt patterns. So I've got a big following of people in that genre. Interesting. And, you know, they're surprisingly, you know, quilts used to be like for old ladies, but it's not anymore. There's like this whole cool hipster, yes. you know, cross section of people Being who are doing, familiar. right. They're doing like these contemporary, really cool quilts, yeah, yeah. you know? So I feel like it's sort of like a back and forth between them and me to say like, they look what I'm doing. I look at what they're doing. I look at their colors. I look at their patterns. I look at like, you know, everything about what they're doing and pull it into my work. And I'd hope that they would look at my work and pull it into their mm-hmm. work. Well, that you would know? be an awesome sight. To yeah. See something like your piece translated into cloth or that kind of yeah. would be fantastic. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, there's the, the social media world is an open world. Much of it, like Facebook, is really sort of like negative political ranting. So I sort of stay away yeah. from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Instagram, like you, you know, your feed becomes what you look at. So yeah. for me, it's like classic cars, <laughs> art, quilts, uh-huh. you know, it's sort of like it's all based around that. Yeah. And so to me, it's a positive experience. Yeah. But you're right. Like people, there are people who look at your work and never comment. There are a lot of fake followers. Because it's a big business, right? Anything that happens is a business model. Mm-hmm. Instagram being free mm-hmm. is a business model to other people mm-hmm. and to them as well. You know, so I think as older, you know, as not that generation, like we just have to realize that it has its limitations, it has its negative side, it has its positive side. Use it for what you want to use yeah. it for, and then you know. Yeah, but I mean, but I, I mean, it's, it definitely does have its positive too because uh, you know I remember the time that uh, I mean you know now I can at least attempt to reach out to just about anybody you know you can slide in the DMs as they say you know because if they're on there there you can at least get them a message whether right. they see it or not or respond to it or not um, it's at least a possibility and you know similarly with Twitter you know you can shout people out you can you can put it out there where other folks know that you've you know sort of put them on blast very very interesting um it can be um for me you know time is a big issue because all of that time sort of putting together stuff like that content all of that is uh you know time uh that I'm not at the easel I've been working on trying to uh integrate it you know make it a little bit more of a seamless thing where it's not so you know where it's just like okay here's a quick snap throw it out there get it you know do that kind of thing um because it can become tedious and make me not want to do it and make me almost um you know you know feel feel jaded about it and it's just like yeah. you know what i'd rather be painting right exactly <laughs> i mean i feel like if you set it up like what i do is i set it up where i have my phone you know it, like set up in a spot that's a nice angle and as I'm working through pieces, I'll take a picture and I'll keep it in the same spot. And so at the end, I can go through and sort of like edit. And then I can even show like the finished piece, right? So people can scroll through and say like, oh, that's cool. It's like him working on it. Oh, that's how he puts it together, you know? Yeah. And I've had tons of people contact me asking me like how I put my work together. And that's something where I'm like, it's part of my work. 
you know, like we don't, and magicians don't give away their secrets. Yeah. Well, right? I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when you say either live paint or show some of your process, that kind of thing, I don't know how much live painting you do, but uh, I, it would, you know, that'd be, a, it, there are so many layers to your work. It'd be, that'd be a little different, but uh, um, yeah, it's like, uh, we'll share up to a certain point and then it's like, you know, there's a, there are a couple of ingredients in the, in the sauce that uh, maybe we don't give away right away, you exactly. know, just because yeah. you got to earn it. Exactly. You got to earn it. Right. And that's what I always say to people. Like, you know, when people are like, oh, what's your process? I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's a very basic process, but it takes a lot of time to perfect. Mm -hmm. Good mm -hmm. luck. Yeah. You know, because I like, why would I give it away? Like, I've spent 20 years of my life making this. Uh -huh. You know, I'm not just going to give it away to you. Yeah. Because look, there's enough people copying me at As this point. Yeah. <laughs> you you know, give them all the secrets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and half of them aren't even it's like. Poor, it's poor imitations. I've seen many of them. Yeah. But that's so. what it is, and uh, but uh, but I think that that gets back to the very fact that these people that are copying you, they haven't developed themselves as an artist. So you're not seeing any heart and soul. You're not seeing any blood, sweat, and tears. You're just seeing a fabrication. Um, right. I think with an artist, it's like you know what you're making is is a result of like everything you love, mm -hmm. everything you think about, you know, and to just sort of copy it and say like you know I like pop icons like. That's not cool. You well, know? if you like them, like them enough to explore and try exactly. and do some experiments. Exactly. Like, yeah. you know, come up with your own signature style. You know, and that's the one thing. Like, I, I mean, that's a very difficult thing to do, but, but that's, I think that that's why when people actually put in the time and the effort to actually do that, the, the, that's when it really hits home with folks, you know, because it resonates because it's like, oh, hey, this is something different. This is something unique to this person because of what they've, you know, it's just like these paintings in here, like how long did this painting take me? Well, 37 years because it's, it's the culmination exactly. up to this point of everything that I've done, learned, right. screwed up, yeah. you know, everything up to this point. I th and I think that's one thing with artists is that people seem to base value on how long something takes mm -hmm. right when you look at someone like picasso who could spend 30 seconds making a drawing and it blows your mind and i think that that's a unfair assumption because like you said it took me 37 years to learn this to make this like you don't just do this overnight like you have to perfect your skill and mm -hmm. your practice and so it's always unfair for someone to ask like how long something takes I'm like a year and a half mm -hmm. of blood, sweat, and tears. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it, and it's, and, and it's at least that much, no matter yeah. how long it physically took. Because right. because you wouldn't be able to do it right. if you hadn't done everything else up to that point. So it's exactly. all building. You know, um, I do a lot of layers on my paintings, and but but it's also you know conceptually there are layers, mm -hmm. physically there are layers, and then um, you know in the evolution as as artists there are layers to that and each day i've learned a little more i've developed you know a different muscle from right. painting at this angle or whatever and it all and that's why you know the newest work is a culmination of all of that right it's all your skill you know when you look at someone who does a double backflip on a bicycle you don't go like how long did <laughs> right, that take right. you right no one ever says like how long did that take you right, right. but, oh, that's but literally point. you yeah, think about it like that took that person one hundred thousand tries to get to that point. Yeah, right. You know? Probably a cracked skull or two. Right. You know, broken bones. So I think it's unfair to ask an artist how long it took. 
Yeah. You know, they they yeah, should that's understand. Great, I think that that's a great analogy. Then. They should understand that like all the practice went into you making your masterpiece, which is that or that or that at that time. You yeah. know. Yeah, and that's um, yeah. So getting back to once again, like circling back to like values, what people pay for it. And then and when you have folks that are like, all right, well, how many minutes did that take you? Uh, what uh, what uh, grade of gold is that gold leaf? You know, what carrot of gold is that gold leaf that you have in there? I'm telling this up and I will pay you four hundred dollars for right. this thing. Like, you're like, Get out of here. It's like, OK, yeah, you're uh, you're in the wrong spot. You're talking yeah. to the wrong folks. Um, yeah, because it's right. It's, it's an unfair um, assessment of value in that totally. way. In that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, how long did it take Basquiat to do some of his pieces, right? Or Keith Haring, right? A perfect example. Like, the guy was, he was so well-read, and his theories were so in practice that the guy could literally paint himself from one corner to the other corner, and you would look at it and go, wow, perfect. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, compositionally, it's amazing. Because he had, he had studied, and he had come up with all these concepts and, 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 and practice and practice. practice. You know, yeah. and you see him, you see him drawing in, in the subways and you're like, God, that guy, like, he's just so confident in his strokes and same with Picasso, so confident. Right. And that's the thing as well, an artist, that like from, from developing, you know, from developing, right. That. You know, when you think about graffiti writers, right, it's a hundred a day or whatever it is. Like they do, they do their tag a hundred times uh -huh. a day, you know, so that they can do it. They can do it under a seat, not looking uh -huh. at it. They can uh -huh. do it in the dark, not looking at it, you know, because it's muscle memory. Right. And I think right. so much of art also relates to that, like understanding what it is, you know, to do this. Yeah. And, you know, the rest of the world doesn't understand. Like people yeah. go to a job and sit at a desk and do data entry. Uh -huh. Like that doesn't, it's two things that will never overlap. Yes. You know, That's they're completely, yeah. completely on different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it can be difficult sometimes to sort of explain um, to folks who who haven't who haven't either experienced you know that side of things for themselves of like creating something and knowing and the, and sort of that experience of like taking nothing and turning into something and having that experience or uh you know and people who you know really they're they're sort of caught up in in this other side of life that uh that we as artists have sort of in a lot of ways have turned our backs on in some ways like we're not going to go to this one place each day doing the same thing over and over again um, even if that means that we have some stability in our lives and like a guaranteed totally. paycheck and maybe a, you know, a second house at an earlier age or that kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, we're willing to take, to make that sacrifice in order to open up, uh, you know, the possibilities for other things. And, um, you know, as we were talking about earlier, it, it leads to ups and downs, but, um, that's, those are the times that we grow and learn, you know? Yeah, totally. I think as artists, we are risk takers. Right, we don't, we don't want the normal, you know. We we want to understand, because yeah. like our vision is different, right? Like your vision is different than my vision. Totally, yeah. And that's the beauty. Of and that's the beauty of it, yeah. right? Because we're creating what's inside our heart, you know. And again, like we're realistic that we have to make a living, right, right. But at what point, mm -hmm. right? Like we're not selling our soul to be something we don't want to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure both of us. I mean, I can speak from experience, but I'm sure you've had opportunities as well that. So it's like, well, if you just did this, I could pay you this. I was like, yeah, but that's not what I do. 
Right. So, you know, and, and, and that's part of what, uh, you know, that's one of those things that I was, I was sort of, I was experiencing that oftentimes. And I was like, but you know what? But I know this other artist who would be perfect at this. Right. And um, that's sort of how, um, well, both, that's certainly how Wet Paint NYC got started. But then also, uh, um, that was sort of the genesis of the Artists and Fellowship program and how I got involved with Compass Needle and those folks. Um, it's so that we were able to create this thing is it's like, hey, you know what? There's a lot of opportunities out there. Um, we may not each individually be perfect for each one of them, but if we can share the love with somebody else, then, you know, who knows? Maybe the perfect opportunity for us will come via folks that they know. And, you know, you just share that love and then everybody's better off and, uh, and you know, the clients are happy, you know, and, you know, where's the downside there? Right. No, I think it's a network, right? I mean, exactly. yeah. look, we met years ago, right? Mm -hmm. We always kept in touch. And then something comes up and here we are. Yeah, here we you are. You know, I think it's, that's the beauty of, of art. Yeah. You know? And we were talking about it, um, you know, explaining to people art, right? And I don't think you can explain art to people. I had a guy, he was, wanted to brag. Obviously, he's very wealthy. Um, and he's like, I sold all these works on Canvas. And I'm like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like, works on Canvas doesn't mean anything. Because there's many works on Canvas, uh -huh. you know? And he's like, why should I buy your art? And I was like, well, if you connect, no if you connect to it, <laughs> right? Like, you, you shouldn't have to ask me. Yeah, you like, should look at it and don't. feel it, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, it doesn't matter the money that it costs. Yeah. Like, if, if you see something that's beautiful that and you have to have it and it makes your life better, there you, go. I like that. Yeah. you know? Like, look, I would, I would love to own Twist's work. I'm priced out. You know, so I can see it online or go to galleries mm -hmm. and that's it, you know, but for my other friends and artists that have a lower price point and I can afford it, I will buy it, you know, and I think it that's, speaks to you and you enjoy it. Yeah, right. That's, that's... I will ask them for a 50% discount. I know, right. Can you give me a 70% discount? Cause well, you know what? Let me tell you, yeah. it'll look good on your resume. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well. That's yeah, something we deal all, with. We've all heard that. We've yeah. all heard that. We've all heard that one. Yeah. Look good on your resume. You know what to look good on my resume? More money. You paid me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. The fact you know, the fact that I that I can create a bunch of new work without having to worry about the next sale. Exactly. That will look good yeah. on my resume <laughs> exactly. forever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, you know, that's that there is a beauty in having gone through, you know, through a lot of these hard knocks. And just, you know, and not being so concerned about every little potential lost sale. You know, we'll, I don't know about you, but I say no a lot more than I used to. I still say yes yeah. far too often, but I, I, I do say no a lot more um, than I used to because, uh, you know, speaking of the resumes, like we both have pretty decent, you know, the resume is long enough. At a certain point, it's about, you know, living life and sharing what we've learned and what we know and, and including, you know, what we know how to create um you know at a certain point it's just about sharing that more getting out there being smart about it so that we can continue to do that and that's where the business side comes in because uh that's the thing if you like what you see from an artist uh the best way to keep them uh to keep that in the world is to support them one way or the other um whether it's financially or even just like you know getting back to things that are free share their work on Instagram, um, making sure that it links back to, you know, to their website, uh, you know, 
tell your friends in person that, hey, you know, oh, you got a new house or you need a gift. I got the perfect idea. Let me introduce you to this artist or let me show you this artist's work online. Um, you know, these are the ways to keep art alive. <laughs> Literally. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's uh, recently there's this whole big thing about, um, you know, a billion dollars raised in less than 24 hours for Notre Dame. Now, look, that's hey, that's. I, I believe that that was all justified in those wealthy folks' mind as like, hey, this is art, you know, we are, um, so there is something very deep that even some of the stingiest folks out there, uh, you get the right art in front of them and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll come out of pocket for it, which is, you know, thank goodness for that because um, at least it's, it, uh, you know, because as, as difficult as this subject may be, it's like there, has, there does have to be a balance um, in the world that we live in, there has to be a balance between commerce yeah. um, and art. Well, let's also say this with Notre Dame. It was one of the biggest events post-September 11th and the London bombing. Like, there's, there's been a few, but, you know, this was a huge event. This was a building that has been around for a thousand years. And so to be a part of the rebuilding of that looks mm -hmm. good for them. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I want some people to put, into, to put into some humanitarian crisis. Uh -huh. Something that, like... You know, to me, the true um, sort of people who help the world are people who don't need the credit for it. You know, who right. people who like right. put in and don't want to be known. Right. Right. Rather than people who are like, because let's be honest also, like the Christian church is, is one of the richest entities in the entire oh, world. Sure. You know, so it's like they can rebuild that. For a long time and uh, yeah. you know, not to mention other things. <laughs> right. They can rebuild that thing like in yeah, gold. Not, not a problem. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. But again, like, you know, Notre Dame burning was, I mean, it was shocking, you know, to, to open up Google and see that mm -hmm. and be like, that's horrible. And so do you think, so that's, so that's what it takes to get folks to open their wallets these days is something shocking, huh? I guess so. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, um, hopefully... It won't take something too shocking to get folks to open their wallets at Superfine Art Fair um, May 1st through 5th in Soho because we have five fantastic artists through the Artists and Fellowship Program in booth G10. Uh, we're going to be right by the front door. Um, and, you know, it's five, I would say, you know, you can tell me your thoughts on this. But I would say, like, very, it's very diverse in both the, 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 as individuals and the works, the styles are very different. The processes are very different. And each um, one of the artists are beautifully unique. Um, and real quick, do you, have any, do you have any sort of thoughts or impressions on your experience with, with uh, the Artists and Fellowship program so far? No, I think it's been really positive. I mean, it's harder for me because I'm outside the city. So for me to get in is harder. But I mean, going, seeing Mary's studio, talking to her, like she's, she's just awesome, yeah. you know? And her work, when you sent all the, all the artists, I was like, that's who I connect right with. Right? I like, it's like the everyday objects, which I really love. And, you know, and then to see her work in person was even better. And to meet her was even like another step. So I feel like that's just like with art, it's connection, right? So if you connect yeah. to someone's art, chances are you'll probably connect with them if it's like true to their heart. So yeah, yeah it was really, yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. It was, um, it was interesting to, uh, to put out 
sort of the call for art and artists and do that whole application process um, because especially in New York City you get all kinds of athletes now I was I was getting applications from out of state and elsewhere too but even in the city alone it's like you get some very interesting art and artists and um, questions and thoughts and all this good stuff so wading through all of that and, and and getting through to it to find these five gems and actually you know and uh it was uh and these folks really did stand out though and so it was yeah. really fabulous to to be able to get them and to have fantastic advisors such as yourself to just like i said you know to sort of bounce ideas off of them and and i know that the um that for everybody including mary the uh you know, just having the advisors around and the sort of experience has been really big. And, you know, it's been a big push up to the art fair now, but we have a couple more months of the program, too, that we'll be able to sort of uh, come together um, and reflect on some of these things because they'll have their they'll have had their first big show. And I'm sure they'll have met with some gallery folks and all this sort of good stuff. So it'll be great to to uh, be able to reflect on that kind of stuff. And, um, and I have my talk coming up. Oh, that's right. Yes. You have your presentation. That'll yeah. Be which I'm going to talk about. The gallery world and the ups and downs, the ins and outs, uh-huh. you know, what to look out for, how to do consignment forms, you know, how to, how to basically approach it. Yeah, how to approach gallery. Because these are things that, I, that I've learned over the years, mm-hmm. right? So I think that they're just sort Trial of second nature, yeah. right? It's like, let me save you some difficulties. Of right, <laughs> yeah. But just giving, just having like a blank consignment form, which has all the basics, and then you can sort of like rearrange it, like that's priceless. You're right. You know? You're right. Yeah. Because I've been through it. Because I've been to the I've been at the gallery where you just give them work, and then it disappears. And I've been at the gallery where you you make them sign for things, and everything comes back to you. Yes. You know, and that's the difference. Yeah, that that's a big deal. That's beautiful. Yeah, it, those sort of forms, and also um, you know contracts for commissions. If you do commissioned works, um, that's a big deal uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, just spelling things out so that there's no questions um, and nobody can come back at you and say that you didn't fulfill this that or the other or um, you know that's yet it is great you know as artists um, a lot of times you know where we may consider ourselves at least some of us and then oftentimes other people consider us as sort of just like crazy and disheveled and uh, you know, not so much with the paperwork. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Some of some of us, but but you know how it is. It's like that they they're like, oh, you know, well, if this piece goes missing, will they even know? You know, they just brought in this bundle of work. Um, but you know, even though I don't love that side of things, I found that it's um, it is a necessity, and it, you know, it helps me sleep better at night to know that you know it's all on paper. So if something goes wrong, we have a paper trail to to follow and figure out how to fix things. Totally, I think you know. Look, if, if a gallery doesn't want to sign a consignment form, you don't want to deal with them. End right. of story. Right. You know, because when you board. put a signature on yeah. there, it becomes legally binding. You know, to have a gallery that, that has things, and it shouldn't be a 10-page contract. It should be a right. two-page mm-hmm. or one-page. You know, it should just be like, here's the work, you sign for it. You know, here's a percentage that you can discount. You know, you have to insure it, I have to insure it, this, that. You know, it's all the things that are just basic. And when you have that, that's how things work best. Mm-hmm. If you have all these weird clauses, like that's, mm-hmm. you know, there's you gotta, sketchiness. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta wonder when there's all these clauses. Right. Yeah, because really, for the most part, it should be, I mean, a one page or should do it because mm-hmm. it should be very basic because who, yeah. we're, who are we trying to trick here? Who are we trying to fool? You know, what are all right. these loopholes that we're creating here? Yeah, yeah that's a great point. 
Well, so you have a show coming up in Greenwich. Are you working on a like a new body of work for that, or a specific series? Or? I am. So in dealing with a gallery, they're very specific about what they want. They don't want logos on anything. Oh, okay. So it's become more about the image and the pattern and the colors. Um, so that show opens May 9th at Gilles Clement, who's on East Putnam Avenue. So you're creating new work for this? And is that something that like they you had a piece that was similar to what they wanted or or they gave you this concept and you're creating, you know, and you're completely creating works for this? So, yeah, so I'm creating all new works for the show. Um, we've been talking about it for a while. It's supposed to be in January, then they pushed it off, which I'm kind of happy. Hey, January is not the best time yeah. oh, for a show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it gave me a little more time to reflect on the work and really sort of hone it in. And um, so the pieces will be delivered next week mm-hmm. and they'll hang the show and... There's a couple of events surrounding it. There's an opening on the 9th. There's um, another event, which is kind of like a fashion event. Mm. So there's a, like a fashionista in town. Cool. Oh, nice. She will sort of lead the yeah, show. Yeah, that can be fun to sort of blend. I like blending uh, fashion, music, and, yeah. and and the visual art when possible. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a fun, you know, a little bit of booze and you got everything. That exactly. You, you got everything you need. You know, and, and so this designer, Gilles, he's like, He's got a vision. Like if, if he thinks something's terrible, he doesn't want it. Nice. You know, he's very like upfront about it. Um, so I know that the work is good for his show. Cool. Um, and we'll see what happens. You know, he deals with. He's got like, a five-year wait list to deal with people. Well, let's see. There you go. Yeah. So so at this point, um, are you approaching galleries anymore, or is it just that like they're essentially coming to you, or is it a mix? It's a mix. Okay, um, so you're still doing some outreach as well? Yeah. There was a gallery that I wanted, London and, and L.A. Nothing. Radio silence. But you, but you reached out. You gave them their opportunity. Right. If they, if they want to miss out, that's right. it's on them. Yeah. So, I mean, look, you know, I like their program. I also, with international galleries, like to have a U.S. presence. This way, it's just Makes like, yeah. it's, it's just easier. Mm-hmm. You know, there's accountability. Yeah. Um... But, you know, look, I, you know, many galleries approach me. Some of them I take, some of them I don't. Is it, is, what are you, how are you seeing the approach these days? Is it email? Is it like in person? Or are you, are you getting hit up in your DMs? Always email. Okay. Yeah, it's always email. Yeah. You know, it's just easy because my email's out there. Mm-hmm. Right? So yep. people can. Yeah, we put our, yeah, we, uh, there's no anonymity for us because we've, we've put our, at least I put my phone number, my social email address, card. social security number on all my websites totally. for the last yeah. 15 years. So uh, it's out there. Yeah. If you want to find me, you know how to do it. <laughs> exactly. Here's my social security number. <laughs> it has very little value, so don't bother with that one. But, um, but you know, if you want more information, you could always check out webpaintnyc.com or paulcepela.com. <laughs> exactly. Get anything you need from there. Exactly. Well, it's been great talking with you, uh, Robert. It's been great having you in the studio. Is there anything you want to, any other points you want to make before we wrap this thing up? I don't want to tie you up too too much longer. Uh, you know, I think we sort of covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we've had, it was a great you chat, know, right? It was a great chat. Yeah. You know, I think awesome. it's nice to just sit here and sort of like converse back and forth. Yeah, you know, this is something, you know, we're, um, I do this from my actual painting studio. So it's nice, um, you know, usually nobody's allowed in here. Um, so it's nice every once in a while to have somebody in and just have a have a nice conversation and um, 
you know, so sort of commiserate about some of these things that, you know, that we've gone through, you know, it's like this, this path that we've chosen at times can be so fantastically rewarding. And we feel like superstars at our shows. And like when people recognize us on the street and this kind of thing. And, and then there are those like dark moments of the soul where we're like doubting everything and wondering what the hell have we done? Like, why did I make that choice or this side or the other? Um, so it's just so cool to, you know, be able to share that with somebody in person here in the studio. Well, I think the only way to grow is to doubt yourself, right? Right. Once you become too cocky, uh -huh. like you're not going to learn. Right, right. So you're it's not like... you do anything different, you're going right. to keep recycling the same old thing. Exactly. Awesome. And there's great light in the studio. Yes, I do love that. You know, got the... I, uh, out here in Brooklyn, I'm one of the... Where I am, I'm one of the taller buildings, so I actually get to see sunsets and all that kind of good stuff. So I am a, I'm a happy camper. Well, Robert, thanks again. I hope um, people will look you up. Where the, where's the best place to find your work? Instagram, Robert underscore Mars underscore art. Awesome. And then, you know, at, of course, all any of the finest galleries in the world, if you, uh, you want to make a purchase, you can find his work there. Um, or reach out to him in person. You never know. Um, well, once again, thanks so much. I hope everybody will come and check us out and see the work that we've been doing um, with the artists uh, through the Artists and Fellowship Program. We have a show in Soho, May 1st through 5th at Superfine Art Fair, as well as a show that we will be announcing dates and times for at the Living Gallery Outpost. Um, it'll probably be mid to late June. Um, but check us out, wetpaintnyc.com. Thanks again. Catch you next time.